Welcome to the Washdown Podcast, episode number 89, and tonight's guest is Natalie King, and you may know her from her very popular TikTok and Instagram. Um, She has a fantastic story of going through trauma and coming out the other side. Um, It is definitely worth a listen. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. Um, yeah. So here you go. Episode 89 with special guest, Natalie King. Yeah. But cause I can't remember. Is it recording now? I think it is recording now. We can't yeah. we fuck it up every time. Yeah. I heard it. So it says recording. <laughs> yeah. All right. But yeah, just really, like I said, it's, uh, this this episode's about you. Feel free to. Okay. Well, um, I'm Natalie, and I am a, a Air Force veteran and a Gold Star wife. Um, so basically, you know, my childhood. Um, I grew up in a military household. My mom and dad were both military. They met in the military and in the army. They're MPs, and then they married and they branched off. My dad went to the Coast Guard and my dad, my mom was in the Air National Guard. Um, So I have a lot of background with the military. Um, My sister was also in the military. My younger brother's active duty right now. And then um, when I joined, I joined um, after high school and my sister had just passed away from a drug overdose. She had um, gotten out of the Air Force and was a CNA and she had a drug addiction to opiates, um, painkillers for quite some time. Um, she passed away in 08 and a lot of uh, the help back then wasn't as like it is now. There wasn't much of it back then. So we, I wish I, I, wish I would have done a lot more for her in terms of her addiction. Um, but one night she passed away from her addiction Um, That was pretty rough on the family just because it's always been us five. We lived in Puerto Rico, Hawaii, California, Texas. We moved around a lot, just us five. So it was really devastating for our family when she passed away. Was the the lack of help back then, was it due to still probably not understanding of the stigma or just the resources not being available? Well, they didn't even acknowledge pain pills as a problem back then. Oh, yeah, true. I mean, they were just giving them out like chiclets. Yeah, they, yes, you're so right on that. Um, so I, I believe it's both. I believe that there was a stigma and also the resources because, um, so my sister, I remember going to the pill doctors with her in Houston, because that's where we lived at the time. And they're called them pill mills. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they would be, there would be people lined up outside the door for miles long before they opened just to get their pain pills and they would give you all you would would have to say is your back hurt something hurt and they would write you a prescription of like 90 xanax 90 somas and 120 vicodin or something like that it was crazy and you could go to multiple doctors a day and get these painkillers so this is what my sister was doing and um anyways back then also suboxone wasn't really around it was, I think it came out just around the time she passed away. 
And Suboxone is a, it's a drug that helps opioid users get off of op opiates. Um, so that wasn't around either. I believe that that could have saved her life. Um, but anyways, so back to the story. Um, she passed away. After she passed away, I joined the Air Force. I had to get out of town. Um, my, I went to Lackland for my training and then um, Fort Leonard Wood. And then they shipped me to Japan, which was an awesome experience. I had a fun time there. And I, that's where I met my husband who was also in the Air Force. Um, so we got married in Japan and then I found out I was pregnant and we wanted to have our son in the States. So that's when we moved to Maryland at Andrews, our presidential base at Andrews. And um, that's when my husband was killed. He passed away in February of 2013 and uh, he was killed on an on-base accident. Um, he was basically, uh, pinned against a wall by a vehicle and, um, he, in the bait, my son, our baby was only about eight months at the time. Um, so that was really hard on me. That definitely broke me. And especially with my mental health, um, that really threw me over the edge. It was devastating to say the least. Um, what resources, I guess, at least in when you're on base in the military, what are the like acute resources available from the military for a situation like that for you, for especially for mental health? Yeah, so um, the first time I went, okay, so I'm trying to think. Um, the first time I went to get mental health from the military, help with mental health, um, was when my husband was deployed and I had was put on some antidepressants. Um, just, I don't know, I, I just was telling them I was, you know, feeling kind of sad and lonely, you know, stuff like that. So they gave me antidepressants. And um, then when he passed away, um, I remember they, the military was really accommodating. They asked me, you know, where I wanted to go. So because we were at Joint Base Andrews, my mom was visiting me at the time. So all my family was down south. So they asked me, do you want to stay here in your home? Do you want us to buy you a plane ticket, you know, for where your family's at? I said I wanted to stay at a hotel on base until um, his services were over and stuff like that because I just couldn't stay at home. So they did put me up in a hotel on base and the doctors came to my room. The I guess it was a psychiatrist. Uh, there was two of them. So they came to talk to me about my mental health and right away they had prescribed me Xanax, antidepressants, and I believe that's it at that time. Um, but that's where my Xanax addiction started. I, I got addicted to Xanax pretty quickly after that. Um, so uh, I don't know where, where was I? I'm trying to think, I'm sorry. Are you get in the hotel. Yeah, so they, they came to the hotel right away and helped me with my mental health. Um, and then it, everything's such a blur just because I was so in shock. I was grieving. Everything, it, it went so fast. But, um, you know, they they set you up with a officer, the um, casualty officer and stuff like that who helped you through all the process of all the death stuff. 
Um, and then, so after the Air Force, so, okay, I got into my addiction real bad with Xanax after my husband passed. This was about four or five years. Um, I was in my addiction. I moved in with my mom and dad down in Florida. And uh, this is also where my husband family, husband's family lived. So um, I thought it would be best to kind of be around them so that my son could grow up with part of his dad's side of the family. And it went good for a little while um, until my addiction really got bad. Um, I signed over custody of my son to my mother because she sat me down and she told me she didn't think that I had many years left if I continued down the road that I was on. And she told me just in case your addiction takes your life, you need to make sure that your, you know, John James is taken care of. And so I did end up signing custody of my son over to my parents. And um, I, after that had happened, I had a suicide attempt, um, which was pretty scary. Um, I had, I think I had taken some Xanax one night and I ended up um, running my Mustang into a light pole and totaling it. And I was institutionalized after that. I woke up in the hospital and I was institutionalized, of course. Um, and that became a real long road of going in and out of, you know, rehabs and institutions and mental health facilities, things like that. This went on and off for about, like I said, four to five years. And um, I ended up meeting um, another man who was he had just gotten out of the army and he was amazing he was an amazing guy and he let me talk about my husband freely and openly he let me grieve the way I wanted to and it never bothered him and he treated my son he didn't have any kids of his own and he treated my son like like gold it was amazing and I quickly fell in love with him even though it was a different kind of love that I felt with, then with my husband, it was, uh, it was a strong love though, you know, and, um, he helped get me clean off of drugs. It took about two years, but, um, I slowly weaned off of Xanax and I stopped hanging out with the people that I was hanging out with. And I, uh, finally got on track and, uh, got clean. I was so thankful for that. I got my son back. And it was amazing. Um, and then, you know, I always knew that mental health issues ran in my family and that anything could happen. I mean, once you're an addict, um, you can always fall back to that path. And so I was always scared in my head, like, is something gonna happen or, or something tragic is gonna happen? And am I gonna go back to my old ways? That, it, it was always in the back of my mind. Um, and I really got the reality of all that when my dad, um, had shot himself in the head. Um, he shot himself in the head because he had ALS. Um, and he was, he had it for about four years before he did this. And he, my brother had called me and said, dad shot himself, but he survived. And I was like, oh my gosh. So I had to get to Texas right away because that's where my dad was at. 
So we went to Texas and he had lost his eye. He lost his right eye, but none of the brain was hit at all. It was amazing, a miracle really. And that's when I moved him into my home to take care of him. Because when you have ALS, I mean, you have no function of your muscles. Basically, you can't walk, you can't talk, you can barely eat. So he had tube feeding, um, you know, diaper changes, showering, nail filing, haircuts, shaving, everything that you have to do to take care of a person. I had to do it for him. And it was a lot of hard work, um, but I wouldn't change it for anything. And he ended up passing away in February of 2021 from ALS. And like I said, in the back of my mind, I was always scared that I could fall down the wrong path again. And thankfully I, I haven't, um, it's, it'll be two years this February. And I have implemented a lot of different, I don't know, ways to help cope, I guess you could say. Um, one thing I think that's helped me so much is like meditating. I love to meditate before I go to bed. Um, I also like listen to um, healing music, like sound baths and things like that. Breathing treatments I do. Um, when I have anxiety, I always do my breathing treatment. I actually have a little device. It's called a Call Me Go that helps you um, ground yourself when you're feeling anxious or depressed, things like that. So I've implemented a lot of things to help me throughout the years. And I think that's what's kept my sobriety and my mental health. On top of that, though, my mental health is also my medications has helped me. Um, so that's, uh, yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> that, that's a lot to unpack. Well, <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Well, I remember, and you can ask me questions about anything. I'm I'm open to discussing any part of my story. So well, and that's why I was so like I, when I'd watched some of your videos and I had sent it to Jeremy, and I was just like, we got to get her on. Like, and it was kind of saying, I don't even know where to start, but like I've got to hear this. We've got to hear the story. Like we've got to, right? You know, and well, it's just, and I I think the important part of it and the thing that stands out the most for me is yeah, I mean there was you went through a ton the metric crap ton of stuff um you came out the other side and you've grown from it and that's kind of what because how many people have we had on the show were like afterwards we'd be like you know they have an amazing story or or of some you know traumatic incident but we've always been like well they haven't quite yeah they're not quite there yet yeah they haven't like right and right. but that's what we're trying to highlight is the fact that you can go through all of this stuff, you know, do the work, get the help you need, whatever it may be, and then come out the other side and be better for it. Absolutely. You know? I agree a hundred percent. And I really believe like um the times that I was institutionalized, even though it was, you know, over a handful of times, it was maybe ten or so times. I was in and out of these mental health institutions. I believe that has helped prepare me to be successful to, to in my sobriety, you know, in, in my mental health. Um, Those, I mean, checking yourself in for three to seven days can do wonders on your mental health. It's helped me in ways I, I didn't even know that I needed. So, and what we've talked about a lot on the show too is, 
different treatment modalities. We've had different professionals come on and talk about different treatments they provide. We've had different individuals come on and talk about different treatments they received. I'm interested in talking with you, though, because you, you've hit a lot of them, obviously, with medication being one, institutionalization, but then also you talked about how, you know, meditation and things like that. Mm-hmm. How How is that fine line between, you know, or t- walk me through your journey at least in still trusting in medication to help with your mental health after having that addiction that started because of your mental health? Right. That's a good question. So, cause I do get asked that a lot. Like um, I say that I'm sober, but I take medication as prescribed. So as long as I'm taking it as prescribed, I consider myself sober. However, the medications that I'm prescribed are not, um, I guess, considered addictive medications or medications that you could abuse. Um, the medications like that help with my mental health. I've tried so many antidepressants. Um, I've been on bipolar medications. I've tried so many things for sleep, everything. And thankfully today, I'm only taking two medications, an antidepressant and a mood stabilizer. And taking those consistently has seriously been a lifesaver. If I were to stop, I don't know what would happen. Um, But as far as addiction and the medications that I take today, um, another medication that I do take too that helped me get sober, I I left this out, I'm sorry, is Suboxone, the one that I wanted to help with my sister. I do take Suboxone. I've been on Suboxone for about eight years and um, I'm trying slowly to get off of it. I'm down to one milligram. You're supposed to taper off real slowly. Um, That's another thing that I think helps me is with that medication, you cannot like take any type of opiate and get high off of it. This medication blocks that from happening. So that's been helpful. I mean, it's been very helpful in my addiction part of it that uh, Suboxone has. So what is it like? So if you had a, let's say you had a medical emergency and mm-hmm. had to go to the hospital or something like that, and they gave you an opiate on top of you taking the Suboxone, is that going to make you sick? Is it, or is it just not going to do anything? So it depends on how much they give you. So you could go into precipitated withdrawal if you take an opiate with that Suboxone. So you could go into withdrawal, uh, having, you know, cold sweats, chills, um, stomach pains, diarrhea, vomiting, all that, you could have that. Um, but what, what, so I had a surgery done, I think two months ago, a few months ago, what they had told me to do was to stop taking my Suboxone three days prior. And then, um, I would be able to take the medication. So if an emergency happened, they would definitely need to know that I was on Suboxone. Otherwise I wouldn't, I wouldn't get any pain relief and I could go into precipitated withdrawal. Yeah. So, so make stuff just a little bit worse. <laughs> yes. So James, does. remember that whenever you're running calls yeah. before you push yeah. some narcs. <laughs> so what was your, uh, when your addiction started after the death of your husband, what was your, um, in the days after the services and things like that, what were your resources from the military or, and what did your exit from the military look like? You know, that kind of. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, it wasn't very eventful. It was just, uh, to be honest, it, that time period is such a blur to me. And my mom really helped with the paperwork side of it. She really did everything for me and I signed. Um, so I can't, I don't really remember uh, exactly what it looked like. I think I just got my paperwork and signed off on it and they were, you know, done with it. And they, um, I mean, of course I get, you know, they I had to go through all the benefits and stuff that you get um, from losing a spouse in the line of duty. You know, my son and I receive our benefits and everything. So we had to go through all that. Um, another, the, but one thing about the benefits um, that I don't agree with on the military side is um, my son and I would lose all of our health insurance, all of our benefits if I were to remarry before like the age of 63. Mm. So, yeah, so I'm not allowed to ever get married ever again, unless I want to lose everything that, you know, we have. So that's pretty shitty. Yeah. <laughs> <Just the least. laughs> yeah. What, I guess, what's their reasoning behind that? You know, I really don't know. I've looked it up a few times to, uh, I don't know the reasoning behind that. I have no idea. I don't know why that is. Strange, though. I mean, I guess, uh, yeah. I guess if you remarry, remarry, they feel like you're going to be taken care of, so they don't need yeah. to fulfill their obligation anymore. That's, that's the fucking government for you. That's, <laughs> what, yeah. I, that's what it shit. seems like. So they I'm about to, to get on a soapbox. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty shitty. That was a big you know, at 23, I was 23 when I became a widow. That was a huge punch to the gut when I heard that, you know, I was like, wow, <laughs> you know, gave all this to our country and this is what we get in return. You know, I'm 23. I can't ever marry again. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's fucked up. <laughs> Somebody needs to change that shit. Yeah. yeah it's outdated or something. <laughs> <laughs> so how old is your son now? He's 10 now. That's awesome. So, and we just, talk about his dad all the time. He he hears about him all the time. I have a picture of him in his room. And um, my husband now, he or I call him my husband, but um, don't let the don't let the feds hear you. Yeah, don't let them hear me. I'll oh let it God. that part out. Don't <laughs> so come busting in the door. Uh, but uh he um the man I'm with now, he's a great father. And like I said, he lets me talk about my husband, my late husband all the time, any way that I would like to. And he knew him and his family and stuff. Um, they weren't like real close friends or anything, but they knew of each other. So he's very understanding. You know, and I guess I'm sure people would ask like, how, how do you begin to, like when you love somebody and it's taken away from you, not by your choice, how how do you love again? And I don't mean to sound so cheesy in saying that, but like, no. what is that process? How do, how do you do it? You know, I don't know. It was, um, I felt, you know, it's kind of unfair in the beginning for the, for his name's Justin, the man I'm with. It was kind of unfair for Justin in the beginning, I feel like, because he he fell in love with me as an addict and I was broken and I didn't expect him to stay. Um, in fact, I, 
I don't, I still don't know. I ask him sometimes, why did you stay after even the first night of knowing me? Because I was such a mess. And he said that, you know, he saw something in me. He saw that I was more than this. And that's what he tells me. But it was just unfair to him to have to, he had, I don't know, he had to start from scratch and help. I don't know how to explain it. It's so hard. He had to like rebuild me almost. And I don't feel that's fair to him because you should, to be in a loving, committed relationship, you need to love yourself. You know, you should have your priorities in line before you go finding someone else. And I think at that point, I wasn't really looking for love or finding anyone else. It just kind of happened with Justin. It, fell into place and when he got me sober or helped get me sober I should say he um I felt so so much gratitude towards him and it made me fall even deeper in love with him because I saw how much he cared about me as a person and how much work he helped put in because it was rough you guys it was it was rough it was hard well you know don't have much control over who you'd love and right. you know it we all have this idea or you know whatever about oh it's got to happen this way or it should happen this way or should 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 all day long but the reality is that it doesn't happen like that not half the time yeah. <laughs> yeah. so i mean it you know it happens when it happens and it happens for a reason absolutely so. and i i truly feel like he was sent to me from my late husband because my late husband he knew he knows what kind of man I needed and what kind of man I need to be with even today Justin he is amazing he works his butt off every day uh, Monday through Saturday and then he comes home and and he you know he'll cook the kids dinner he'll cook me dinner and he'll serve it to me you know in the room and I I just I don't know he he waits on me and stuff and he likes to do that. That's how, that's the type of person he is. He's a helper. And, um, I feel like, like John just knew that I needed a man like that in my life. I, it kind of sounds selfish, but I feel like that's what he knew I needed in life. So it's kind of corny, but <laughs> whatever. I don't think it's corny at no. all. I mean, it is. I'll be cooking my wife dinner as soon as we're done with this. So, <laughs> see, there are so many men that do that out there, and I hear girls all the time saying they they can't find a guy to do that, and I'm like, I don't know. I've had two. Sucks of them. to be you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it does. So, um, I want to get into the whole. What made you decide to start sharing on social media? to start doing yeah. the TikTok and all of that stuff. And what are you hoping to accomplish? And Right. Um, so when I first downloaded TikTok, you know, I've heard of TikTok for a while, but I never downloaded it. Um, I ended up downloading it, I think during like the pandemic, at the end of the pandemic. Because there wasn't shit else to do. Yeah, there was nothing to do. So I've watched, I've, I've reached the end of Netflix and Hulu <laughs> and Amazon Prime. What's next? Me too. TikTok. Everything. So I started watching TikTok. And at first, I didn't know I was going to share anything. 
I thought maybe I'd just watch some videos. And I started coming across videos that I could really relate to. And I saw people talking about things about trauma and their trauma and what they've gone through. And I saw the comments on there about, you know, how much they were helping people and inspiring people. And so when I saw a TikTok that I could relate to, I would say things to myself like, I could make that TikTok, but in with my story. Does that make sense? Yeah, so, absolutely. So I was like, unfortunately, I could make this TikTok sharing my story. So I did that one time and it went viral. And um, and people were really sweet on the comments. I mean, you get every now and then, if you go viral, you'll always get some kind of hate, but it doesn't bother me really. So most of the comments were really great comments. And um, so people started asking questions and I started sharing my story more. And, you know, at that time, John had passed away about nine years ago and I felt ready to talk about it. I felt, um, I almost felt like I needed to because mm-hmm. uh, I would write in my journal. I would write all these things in my journal, um, but no one would read it. So when I started sharing it on TikTok in front of people, um, you know, I, I don't know, it, it just took off and people were really inspired by it. And that's my goal. I mean, now that I have, you know, a following, that's my goal is to help other people, to inspire other people. Uh, someone that people can just write and ask questions to if they're going through a hard time. Um, I've talked on the phone to a girl I met on TikTok for like an hour long about what she was going through just with her parents and stuff. Like, that's what I want to do. I've always wanted to help maybe um, addicts or mental health work in a mental health uh, environment, but I just don't have the background or the skills to be hired. So this is another way that I can do that. Well, and I think that's, I'm glad you just brought that point up because, you know, especially in the fire service, sometimes for us, nothing beats just a good old kitchen table discussion at the firehouse. Right. You don't need these certifications. You don't need the, all the treatment modalities and the algorithms that we have to follow by a book. Sometimes we just need to talk on the phone to someone we met on TikTok for an hour. Like exactly. it's, that's all, that's all people need sometimes. I know it. And that's, that's the goal of my page. Now at first I was just having fun, but once I started to grow, I was like, I could really help people by having a voice here. So um, that's all I do is just, I just tell my story and um, it's, there's a lot of trauma in it. I'm kind of trauma dumping on everybody, but it's, uh, <laughs> I don't think I've heard that before, but I'm totally going to steal dump. that. Yeah. Totally it's steal that. Trauma dump, so. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> hashtag so that it. shit. And you know, I can, I can relate to a lot of people too, because a lot of people have either with addiction and mental health, they've had it in their family or they're going through it themselves. So well, it's, it, there's so many little trauma clubs you can join. Like there's the, Hey, my family has ALS trauma. Yeah. Hey, I lost a husband trauma. Hey, I've been in the military. I'm a gold star widow trauma, mm-hmm. you know, hey, like, Hey, I had to sign my kids rides away trauma. Like, there's so yeah. many little different. You got a meeting on Monday night and a meeting on Tuesday night and a meeting on Wednesday night of all yes. these different little areas you can go in. But 
they're all your experiences. That's what makes them genuine to you. Like it's, yes. and it's that many more people and that many more groups you can connect with. Absolutely. I think the same thing all the time. I'm like, I have different, you know, uh, categories that I can work in or talk to people in. So it's really great. It's been great. It's been helpful. And it, and it's helpful to me too. Like I never realized how talking out loud to an audience is so it's so beneficial to myself i don't know how to explain it it's just well it's cathartic and yeah it's, the more that you tell the story and go through the details and all of that stuff in the process of helping other people work through their similar traumas you're also working through yours again and again and again so that way you're you're taking those emotions and all of that stuff that are associated with those memories and you're putting them back where they need to be instead right. of, you know, constantly there. Yeah. I remember, is this the, is, we're on episode what with this now? This will be 89. Yeah. I remember, yeah. The, I think I joined on the podcast in episode two, episode three. And three, I, I, I remember yeah. like when I first told my story, I slept like shit that night. I had nightmares. Like it just, you know, cause but the more and more that I've been on this podcast and the more and more we talk about it, it's the same for me. It's just, you know, I don't know how many times I've Jeremy's watched a little light bulb go off in my head sitting <laughs> yeah. across, across the table from me. Just, you know, when we've had somebody on, I'm like, oh, ah, yeah. right, how about that? Yeah. And usually it it's almost, something I've told him 10 times, but yeah. <laughs> it almost like desensitizes you to it. Almost. Exactly. It, I don't, I don't know, but it's but not so in a bad, but not in a bad way. I, like, not in a bad way. Yes. Thank you for including it, it just, not in a bad way though. Yeah. It, for me, it's just, it's kind of, it's regulated it like, yeah. like, Hey, like I can still talk about this. I still understand it. I just, the extreme emotional attachment to it is gone, which I think is healthy. It's as time goes on. Well, that's how yeah. your brain's supposed to work. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you deal with those feelings and you put them back in memory and the emotions that are attached to them aren't going to overwhelm you every time you think of it right. so, we joined we joined the fire service our brains don't work right anyway well yeah <laughs> but that's how people you know that's how people get stuck in uh converting from pts to ptsd is because that those emotions and memories don't go to the long-term storage they're they're up in the in the cardboard box sitting right by the front door all the time right. so you're constantly tripping over them as you're trying to come in the house as as a mother how do you I guess, explain, don't explain, how do you time it right, you know, with some of this, the history of you with your son, especially going forward, because we're 10 now, we're, you know, yeah. we're starting to get into middle school and kids are little assholes these days, and your story is very public. <laughs> yeah. These how, days. How do you, yeah, how are you, like, what is your plan on kind of balancing that and still remaining true to who you are and, but also educating your son on not only your history, but just mental health in general and how to be resilient. to it. Right. So my son, he does have a TikTok, but um, he's not allowed to watch my videos. He's only allowed to watch certain videos. And he he asks me if he's allowed to. So um, so he's not allowed to watch my TikToks only because not yet anyway, only because I like to explain it to him in an age appropriate way. And um, and that's how I do it. Uh, I'm going to always be honest and open with him because growing up, my parents weren't very honest and open. I don't think, I think my mom and dad tried to like hide a bunch of their faults. Um, and we ended up finding out about him anyway. 
Well, so, that, was, that was generational because we were like, and, yeah, you know, because we're kind of the same age. And that was just very much like we don't talk about problems. We just yeah. put on our face. And that's why our generation's like, we're fucked up. <laughs> yes, I swear to you. This is, that reminded me. I wanted to say this. Um, another reason why I think I started sharing on TikTok is because growing up, my mom and dad, they both they didn't allow me to talk about family issues. They always were like family issues stay in the family you don't talk to people about these type of things you know things could happen if you do yada yada and so i, I was the church never folk would be mad it. yeah <laughs> i know and so i never talked about anything well now that i am i don't know it's been years and stuff and my parents my dad's dead and my mom you know is doesn't care anymore I'm like, you know what? I'm going to share my story because I never was allowed to talk about this stuff growing up. I wasn't allowed to talk about my sister's death or her issues. Even my dad's mental health growing up was terrible. And, uh, you know, I never got to talk about that stuff. And um, I don't know. That type of environment and that type of thinking of where we just bottle everything up. I mean, mm-hmm. we're seeing the results of it like because yeah. things don't stay bottled up no. It, no matter how hard you try they always come out so mm-hmm. we've set up a whole generation of people to fail basically yes and i and I, I don't mean like fail fail but we're, it's been made harder I that makes sense yeah absolutely absolutely so that's what i do with my son i i'm always going to be honest and open with him tell them the truth age appropriately. And, um, I'll just explain to him, you know, why it took me down that path and how not to go down that path and what life is really about. Like there, you know, at his age, he also always is wondering, he talks a lot about, you know, death and stuff because his dad, he knows all about his dad and how he passed and everything. Um, and, also uh what was i saying i'm sorry he knows about his dad but also uh he oh my gosh i just lost my train of thought (laughs) it's all right i I literally did the same thing on the show i'll be looking at jeremy talking i'm like oh shit where was i I going with that i had a point i I had a point happens after your 30s like after your 30s your brain stops working It, was, it wasn't just my brain that stopped working either. I swear, I woke up the morning of 30 and shit started popping that I never knew existed. I was like, well, this is bullshit. Wait, <laughs> just wait for the fun you guys are in when you hit 40. It's oh, awesome. No. I, know, right? <laughs> oh, I woke up. I was 100% fine this morning. My knees hurt. My back hurts. My shoulder <laughs> hurts. And I've done nothing. Nothing. <laughs> oh, Lord. I know. I can't even drink anymore because it hurts too bad. Yeah, when I wake up, well, it's like, usually like when I try to go out with friends, I'm like, we're going drinking. Usually, I get to the environment, and I'm just like, oh my god, people, fuck! You didn't tell me people were going to be here. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> That's my first question: How many people are going to be there? Who? <laughs> uh, yeah, I just don't even go anymore. It's so, easier that way. So, moving forward, what like? In Natalie's perfect world, what is your, I guess, goals? We, you know, we talked about what you wanted. What, what are your long-term goals with your TikTok or just 
you in general spreading awareness for mental health and helping others what in a perfect world how what do you see yourself doing um i mean i i haven't really thought about it that far ahead like i said well you got to come prepared for uh, the show woman geez we i know thought about I it know. i know <laughs> wow. no you be like, nice to the guest <laughs> Holy he's shit. fine he's fine I can't <laughs> no it's my opportunity like, to get on him <laughs> as far as my tiktok platform goes um like i said this kind of it kind of just happened i didn't plan for it to happen i wasn't trying for it to happen it just kind of happened just by sharing my story so my goal is to continue just to do what i'm doing now um continue to spread you know my story and some inspiration along the way talk to people that i can help if i can help them um things like that that's my long-term goal if i were to get my tiktok deleted tomorrow i don't know what would happen i guess i would maybe start a new one but if i didn't um i don't you, know what i would do youtube that. and instagram yeah just change YouTube. platforms yeah change platforms so that's uh yeah yeah i think i mean i would encourage you to keep doing what you're doing yeah so. it's just it's hard because sometimes you know it gets repetitive and i don't yeah and so i don't want to you know share too much and it be so repetitive right uh, yeah, yeah i go through the same thing whenever i'm trying to put together stuff for our instagram or whatever and i've kind of been bad about it the last couple of weeks it's just like what new thing can I right. put on there other than the same dang picture all the time, you know, or the same message or whatever, you know, cause I do at times I totally get the feeling of, you know, I'm, I'm beating a dead horse cause I'm yeah. saying the same thing over and over again. At the same time, there might be somebody that sees that video that didn't see the other, the other videos, you know, or I might say it in just the right way that sparks it for this person that didn't the last time. You know, Absolutely. so that's what I remind myself too. But um well, especially with TikTok too, it's just it's an algorithm. Like at the end of the day, an algorithm brought your video across my phone one day. Like that that's that's why you're sitting here is by pure chance. You, but again, it's like not chance, that's science. That's true. <laughs> that's <laughs> math. <laughs> but it, you know, <laughs> that's how you gotta look at it because that that video led to you being here and for you to tell your story to our audience, you know, that's because not everybody in our audience reaches TikTok. Because I know there's some 60 year old guy that always comments on our stuff, and I'm betting he doesn't have one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's no. a lot of people that aren't on TikTok. So, I mean, that's it's great. That's why I agreed to it, so I can share my story on another platform and speak with you, fine gentlemen. So, <laughs> well, we really appreciate it, and we appreciate you taking the time. Yes. What uh, I, I was I was curious. What's do they have a uh, like for gold star widows does the military have like fault like i hate to say like round table groups but what it like once you're post discharge what are some of the services available for that yeah so um they're okay it's kind of hard so i've been looking for resources online um there's like taps program and stuff like that but um that's usually for um if you were killed in action so that's most of the services and programs are for um military men or women that have died in action and then the other services that i found are for um 
suicide awareness, um, you know, 22 a day, stuff like that. So there's not really much for in the line of duty deaths. Um, I know that there's gold star widows for the 22 a day awareness. They have retreats and stuff like that. And uh, they go out on trips and everything. Um, I know there's services, you know, for KIA, um, you know, there's home programs and things like that for them, but there's really nothing that I qualify for that I found yet. So um, to be honest, I don't know. That's, that's kind of a huge void. And, you know, right. and it's, we talk about, and as we should, our mental health of our service members that, you know, served overseas, but I don't really ever hear the discussion of the widows and widowers mental health of those that you know what I mean? like yeah they this, don't this talk about it they yeah. don't talk about it it's uh i almost i hate to say this because i love the military like i said my brother he's active duty guard he's a helicopter rescue swimmer in the coast guard my dad was a helicopter rescue swimmer in the coast guard my mom was in the air national guard and my sister was in the air force and so i hate to say this but i really kind of felt um kind of just like dropped off on the wayside after everything was said and done um I never really got any contact from anybody I never I don't know yeah well I, no it's perfectly understandable and they unfortunately our military and government has a depressing track record of dropping the ball in these type of situations just a couple right? times <laughs> yeah i mean sending telegrams during vietnam yeah to notify really <laughs> i mean yeah so it's the, i mean unfortunately it's nothing new however with that being said it, it's not right i mean right. they they need to figure some way out to take care of everybody i agree it sounds like you got a job to do natalie <laughs> i know i wish i knew how to do that i wish i knew where to start even or who to talk to um well, we, we, we know some people with nonprofits. they might be able to help we could put you that in would, touch with yeah let's have a conversation be, after this we can yeah yeah okay that would be uh, amazing walk me through with your dad being the badass of badasses <laughs> being a rescue swimmer mm. to seeing his decline with als how, how did you process that it was uh, it was so heartbreaking Y'all, it was, so my dad, he, he won, um, he, not one, he um, has done many rescues. He, so he served for 16 years as a helicopter rescue swimmer. And he's done so many rescues in those years. Um, but one rescue he did, he got the Distinguished Flying Cross Award, which is very high. It's one of the highest. It's higher than the Purple Heart even. Um, I think it's on the same row. If you were to look up the medals, it's like on the same row as the um, Medal of Honor. So he had a very um, prestigious award given to him. And um, for a rescue that he did during a hurricane, uh, he saved three men's life on a sinking um, fishing vessel. And he did it um, free, like uh, he, was, uh, he wasn't hooked onto the cable. He unhooked from the helicopter and swam and saved these three lives. And um, I mean, that just takes incredible skill, incredible determination. Um, 
it takes incredible strength and courage. I mean, now that I'm older and I'm, and I read his story, it just, it blows my mind. Like that was my dad. I can't believe my dad did that. You know, my dad's cooler than your dad. (laughs) No, No, but I I just reading it, it, it was just amazing. And, um, I couldn't picture him doing that. Like I couldn't picture it because how I remember him is like, is so frail and weak and, um, just, I don't know. It was, it was hard to witness. It was devastating to witness, um, him, uh, shooting himself in the head even was like, I just couldn't believe that he did that. It was, it was really hard on my whole family. It was so hard. Um, I don't know what else. Uh, my brother, he's a helicopter rescue swimmer today because he followed my dad's footsteps. He wanted to do what my dad did. So he got into that school and graduated. He's been doing that for a few years now. So, um, but yeah, his decline was just um, the photos and videos that I have. I mean, anybody would say you know look at those and be like this is unreal and devastating so yeah it's a that's a terrible terrible disease yeah i can only imagine my dad said it's it felt like he's being um taken over by like quicksand and he can't move his body or i don't know there are there are things worse than death sometimes and i always felt like yeah yeah my best friend growing up, his mom passed away from ALS and it was, yeah, the decline was just, mm-hmm. we, yeah. we've got here in our city, we've got a police officer named Sarah and she, uh, she has ALS and you know, it's just, she's very vocal, very outgoing with her story. And it's still just like, I'm glad you're happy. Cause this shit looks terrible. <laughs> right. I know. Oh, it was so hard. It was devastating when I found out. How long, and, did he, uh, how long did he have between his diagnosis and his death? Uh, about four years. So four to five years almost, maybe almost five years. So not long. It was pretty quick. It was rapid. He knew something was happening to his body. He just didn't know what. And that's why he moved to Texas to get answers. So that's when that happened. And I guess well, he could probably the same type of guy like i am we're like well if i don't talk about it it's not happening (laughs) right i know (laughs) well my dad has always been the type of guy where he has like a gun like in every doorway that you walk by you know and in his nightstand he has like a handgun he's that type of guy and he always told me he says you know i keep it here for many reasons and one of the reasons is if we there's ever a fire and i'm trapped I'm shooting myself in the head because I ain't dying by fire. And I was like, okay, dad, you know, I never really thought that he was going to shoot himself in the head from instead of dying from ALS, you know, he was trapped. Yeah. He was trapped like a fire almost pretty sad. Yeah. On that note, I just, it's, that's why I'm glad we had her on. Cause like I said, it's, there's just so many little, mm-hmm club she dives in that i know it's yeah 
It's like one of those like, hello, ma'am, can you do an eight part series with us, please? Right. I know. So we could talk all day about addiction and mental health, then we could talk all day about military. Like we could do that. <laughs> well, it sounds like you have a bunch of content for your TikTok channel. <laughs> I do. Unfortunately, I do. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's all on how you look at it as far as fortunately, unfortunately. Because right. you know, like we talked about earlier, you came out the other side. So you grew and all that stuff. Now, fortunately, you came out the other side and you're able to share and be able to help somebody else and pass along, you know, everything that you've learned to maybe Mm -hmm. help somebody not go down that path. I mean, that's the whole reason we even started this podcast because we've all had our little things, you know, stuff happen. And it's like, you know what? We're not the only ones. Every, right. You know, I, I know so many firefighters who've gone through so much stuff. I know veterans that, you know, continue to go through stuff and have went through stuff and police officers and you just run down the gamut. And in the, that culture, we really don't talk about it that much. Right. It's kind of you're kind of shunned if you do. And nobody wants to take it seriously until right. it happens to them. And then they're like, oh, well. Then they're in too deep and it's too late. You need yeah. to prepare almost. It's almost yeah. you need to prepare. Um, I feel like, uh, you know, I've, I've prayed. I, I remember praying for the things that I have today. And so that's another reason why I, I say unfortunately on these events. But like you said, it depends on which way you look at it. Because today I'm so happy and I'm so content. And I have my family that I'm raising and I love every minute of it. I wouldn't trade anything right now for the life that I have because you never know what could happen, you know? So I wouldn't trade it for anything. And everything that I've been through has put me where I'm at today. And I'm just grateful for that. I mean, life is hard and it can be ugly, but it is so beautiful. It really is. And I just want, I want people to see that. You know what I mean? Absolutely. 100% agree. I mean, that's, that's the perfect end cap to all of that. Yeah. Like here's an hour of shit, but I love it. It's, but, but it's your shit. Like it's, it's your my shit. shit. It's my yeah. shit. I love it. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, let's do uh let's do closing thoughts. I, I've been blown away. I I think because we've had so many people on, and you know, and and it's a it's a story from well, I had a parent die, had a kid die, maybe I got shot, you know, maybe something bad happened to a friend, and this is this and Natalie's like, the world basically ended. I'm like, here I am. Here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> all of those things happened, and and I just you know, I I don't know more. I I I have yet to hear a better story of resiliency than this one yeah well and that's why i said you know not to jump on your closing thoughts there but you know that's why i said you you read that story and you listen to you know you tell it and then like i said the biggest flashing neon sign for me was you came out the other side absolutely so if you can go through all that and go through that mountain of crap that you went through and come out the other side what's everybody else's excuse anybody can do it anybody can i know they can 
you just have to get your head in the right place. That's what you have to do. You have to, I found that the meaning of life for me, um, you know, you are supposed to just raise your kids and raise your family and love who you love and grow old with them and you, and you die. That's, that's just life. And I feel like once you accept that and you find your purpose and meaning in your life, then I mean, anything's possible. It is. Absolutely. All right. That was my closing thought. You got a, you got a closing thought or you want to roll with the one you just said? <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Just, um, I just want people to remember, you know, time heals and changes everything. I know that sounds cliche, but time really does. It, it changes everything in, in your perspective. And I just want people to remember that. So awesome. All right. Well, Natalie, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. James, glad you made it. Thank you so <laughs> much hard. for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Oh, no yeah. problem. So everybody out there, thanks for watching. Uh, if you are struggling, reach out. There are resources out there. Get the help that you need. Um, and keep looking if you don't find the right help, because the right help is out there. And if you know somebody that's struggling, reach out to them, let them know you care, get them in touch with some resources. Yeah. And thanks for stopping by and we'll see you next time. <laughs>